in the end, our goal is not to become comfortable people. Amen. Our goal is to become saints. And anything less than that is unworthy of us. And that is the message that I try to transmit in the midst of, you know, working one-on-one with people. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast dedicated to the practice of evangelization. I'm Mike Gormley, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dave Stone Cold Van Vickle. How's it going, Dave? Good. (laughs) I hope that one sticks. I love it. (laughs) I, I just watched that Fighting With My Family movie about pro wrestling. (laughs) <laughs> oh really? Yeah, it's so funny, and uh, that was in my that was in my the old noggin here. Yeah, so, right. How you doing, Dave? Good, good. Yeah, I mean it's uh, uh, starting to warm up a little bit here in Pittsburgh, and uh, yeah, it's I mean it's kind of an exciting time in Pittsburgh because even though it's for the wrong reasons, we're, we have full churches right now. Like even though it's because we're we're compressing the mass times, uh, and if if you're just joining in, if you haven't listened. Pittsburgh is going down from it's from like 200 parishes down to like 64 parishes. Wow. It's it's a real it's yeah, it's a real sad situation, but it's like I'm it's weird because it's the first time in a lot of people's lifetimes that they've ever been at full masses ever. Wow. So like, you know, cuz we we compress the mass time so much and so you'll walk into a church and it's like, you know, almost standing room only and other than Christmas and Easter, no one no one here has had that experience before. So, um, it, you know, it's it's kind of like a stark, it's kind of like an awakening call yeah. to the church in Pittsburgh that we, you know, look, we've we got to do something to fill these churches again. And, you know, the only answer is to turn outwards to evangelization. So, yeah. And it's it's fascinating because in Texas, our churches are full to the brim all the time. Right. Like we have we have six masses on the weekend and four have been standing room only during the school year, standing room only all the time. And yet, at the same time, you realize, oh, that's because we're kind of Johnny-come-latelys to the parish building. We didn't build a church right. on every block. Right. And so like, now, yeah. yeah, we've always built regional parishes. Right. And so now it's like, oh, this is what you're adopting. You're adopting our model. Right. It's just that it comes at the cost of closing everything down. Uh, we got some feedback from last week. Uh I uh, uh, actually no a question from last week and it's a good one. It, this one's a doozy. Yeah. And and I'd say like if you work for the church, this is the, and you're actually evangelizing, right? You're actually bringing people to the Lord and to the church. Uh, this is a question that you have to be able to get over. You got to be able to to address this in some way or another. And so here it is. A couple were basic, uh, I think they grew up Jewish, and this DRE kind of started reaching out to them and really started to like kind of work with them. And I don't know how the connection was made, but eventually the wife wanted to come into the church and then the husband, they both came into the church and then and were both thoroughly evangelized, had a, had a beautiful relationship with Jesus, starting prayer lives, coming to mass, doing all the kinds of things that, you know, you start to see at the beginnings of a relationship of discipleship. And then the big question hit, because this is a young couple, okay? The The big question was, does the church really teach that contraception is not okay? And what happens if I don't agree with it? Okay? Now, Gomer, I, I mean, I know, you'll, I know you've had this experience before, and, and I have had hundreds of these experiences where, in fact, that's what the topic is today for our, for our you know, podcast, is that these moral issues that 
are start to become an, a problem when we're bringing someone along the path of discipleship. Uh, this is this is a common problem for I, I'm I'm guessing hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world who are trying to live by the church's teaching, but for many many years have totally ignored any kind of thought that the church cares about their human sexuality, about their marriage, about anything like that. And so this is a this is a major issue that people have to work through. And so I'm going to address it from a parish standpoint, and then Gomer, if you want to maybe take a look at it from just, you know, if you're just walking someone uh, through, uh, you know, trying to walk alongside someone uh, on their journey to the Lord. Uh, from, from, a, from a parish standpoint, I think there's a few ways you can mitigate having to deal with this one-on-one, okay? The first is this. People are terrified of particularly the issue of contraception, of addressing it. They think that it's very complicated. They think it's difficult to accurately present uh, the the church's teaching on this. And that's just not true. What you need to do is just do a little preparation. But I would say this, that if we're not addressing it regularly in our churches, then it's because we have our heads in the sand. Because this is an issue for every parish in America, every parish in the world, most likely. Contraception is a major issue, and it can be a stumbling block for people who who do not understand why the church teaches what it teaches. And so my, my suggestion to you is this. Don't wait until a couple comes to you with the question. Start to get ahead of this thing. Start to give talks on theology of the body. Start to give presentations on the church's teaching on contraception. Start to pass out books and CDs that really accurately and do a good job of presenting why the church teaches this. Learn a little bit of philosophy. Learn a little bit of theology surrounding this issue. Get ahead of this, uh, and you're really not getting ahead of it. If you don't know that this is an issue in your parish, it's just because you haven't you haven't heard it yet or because you're, you're just kind of ignoring it. Start to address the issue before so that you have a mechanism uh, that you know already deals with like I know at Gomer's Parish he does like a week a year on just the theology yeah, of the body, yeah. uh, and and that's a great thing to have in place because when when people are coming in to the church and they have these questions you can say well I'm I'm happy to sit with you sit down with you right now or next week we do our annual theology of the body thing it'll cover all of that and so I think having these mechanisms in place can be really powerful for your parish Gomer what are your thoughts. Uh, nothing is more important than tying moral issues back to the cross. So today's topic is moral living and gospel proclaiming. And often what I've found is it is easy for people in one sense, once they get over the inherent agnosticism or atheism in our culture, it is easy for them to love the idea that Christ died for me, for my sins, to reconcile me to the father, to give me a church that I can have a home. It is more difficult uh, when life become that, that following of Jesus involves suffering and self-denial. And uh, often what you find in parish settings that get the kerygma, two things are left out. So they don't, in fact, get the kerygma. Um, one is a call to personal repentance, which involves a confrontation with personal sin. Okay, I find a lot of pastors find it easy to talk about God's love and the cross and resurrection, but they don't know how to connect it with my personal sin that I need to repent of. And then the next step is understanding that the call to conversion to Jesus Christ is not a call to understand that my sins are forgiven and it's done. It's a call to radical Christian holiness, that holiness and happiness, holiness and happiness 
are coterminous in God, right? That me seeking my own happiness, God made my holiness, my pursuit of holiness to be the same thing, which is union with him forever in Christ Jesus. And so our moral living, we today separate our belief from our, our, our living, our thinking and our doing, right? We separate those things out. But Jesus didn't. To be a follower of Jesus means in believing these things, you do these things. In right. doing these things, it's because you believe these things. So on an individual practical level, right, as Catholics, as we draw from Scripture, the point of Scripture, I mean, look at how Jesus Christ calls people initially. And this is the problem. And Dave, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen this when we're talking with young people. I've seen this when we're talking with older people, married couples, engaged couples for formation, is we, we make Christianity out to be a rose garden. Oh, I hate that. I know. And, and it is so superficial, and it doesn't survive one hour of intense personal suffering, and everyone looks to compromise the moment um, suffering enters. How can I compromise my beliefs? And so it's this idea that, um, I mean, if you look at Christ, every time he calls people, it's almost like he's pushing them away. Right. He said, no one can be, a, can be a disciple of mine unless he takes up his cross every day, denies himself, and follows after me. No one can call themselves a disciple of mine unless you hate father and mother, children and uh, spouses, uh, even your own life. If you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. Right. Jesus is very clear. It is an absolute command to follow him. Now, the problem comes, how do we follow in this or that situation? That's why we have Holy Mother Church to discern. The bishops are not super geniuses. They're discerners to discern what is the will of the Lord in this or that individual circumstance. How does the gospel apply to my sexuality? And don't think for a second it doesn't. So to accept Christ, you are accepting the cross in following him. It's not just that we accept what his cross did for us. It also enables us by grace alone to accept our own crosses and follow him. So for instance, when couples talk to me about contraception, they're like, oh my God, I just can't do it. I can't imagine having more kids. It's like, okay, why can't we imagine having more kids? Now, some people have health reasons. Some people are, their, their the female body is so devastated by disease that, you know, this one woman in particular that I know, she said, I, I'm, I will bleed out and die if I get pregnant. Okay, that's a, a medical circumstance that we can bracket off. The vast majority of people, when it comes to contraception, is it's so difficult to imagine having another kid. The psychological burden of it, the financial, emotional, and all of that. But what is so fascinating is when they enter into uh, truly embracing this, right? They understand that the gospel is not demanding that they have 47 kids. Right. Generous does not mean mindless, right? The, the, the spacing of children is part of the teaching. Right. But at the same time, there is a generosity that needs to be born in that. And it's a self-sacrificial generosity. It totally is. And I just think sometimes we, and I am 100% guilty of this because I'm terrified of having a fifth kid. Really? I'm terrified. I shouldn't be. I am so scared. I and mean, I desperately want like 10 more, like right now. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. But I am scared of it because like right now my kids are mostly, you know, they're, they're healthy, they're right. happy. Right. And I'm like, I don't know what it's going to be like. We're getting older. We're almost in my, you know, my wife is technically a geriatric pregnancy right now. So I, I'm just saying this because I understand the emotional sure, fears. Sure, sure. Sure, behind people and so I, I want everyone to understand like it's not like see we're lay people who make babies 
we get the drama. Right. We get the indecision. We get the uh, using NFP sometimes doesn't give you clear, conclusive results one way or the un- uh, other as to whether or not someone's fertile. And you have to kind of deal with that and navigate that. We, I totally understand that. But at the same time, Christ promised us a cross. Right. He didn't promise us sevens in a slot machine. Right. Like it's not that we're he promised to show us how we deal with our suffering. And that's what makes us more like him. In the end, our goal is not to become comfortable people. Amen. Our goal is to become saints. And anything less than that is unworthy of us. And that is the message that I try to transmit in the midst of, you know, working one on one with people. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, just keeping it in the in the perspective that obedience does bring joy. Obedience does bring joy. It may not ever seem like it. It may seem like the furthest thing, but obedience does bring joy. But I love, and I think we got to talk about this more, Gomer, yeah. the idea that when people preach and speak, it's like that Christianity is presented as like a a valley of, of flowers. You know, that is, uh, it, it's a troubling, uh, it's an understandable but troubling movement in Catholic evangelism today. Yeah, You know, you go to hear a speaker and it is very, it, it, and I've been guilty of this. I have definitely been guilty of this. It is very much presented as like, oh, the wonderful, beautiful adventure of Christianity. Well, just remember the guy who we follow died on the cross. I mean, we, we have, you know, we have to remember that because it is a problem that, that people, uh, you know, are presenting now just almost like the resurrection without the cross. And and that is uh, untenable. It's not possible. Uh, yeah. So we have to be careful yeah. of that. So, I, yeah, that, that, was, that was... And that's exactly what Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was talking about in the 70s. He said, in Soviet Russia, they have the cross without Christ. Yeah. In America, we have Christ without the cross. And he said, if you, if you look at this, neither of which is Christianity. One is brutal discipline for discipline's sake, and the other replaces happiness with God with comfort. And in America as a culture, somewhere in the 1950s or 60s, probably in the 60s, we replaced the word happiness with the word comfort. And we abandoned the entire ancient project of happiness is the end result right, of a life right. lived well. Right. And we right. just began viewing right. it as how's my 401k? How's my Roth IRA? Can I retire at the age right. of 55 instead of 70 like everyone else in our code? Can I do this? Can I go around it? We, we define a successful life by comfort. And this is where the moral piece comes in. So this goes right into our topic for today. So often when proclaiming the gospel, uh, I, w- I want to take a note from Bishop Barron, and I want to really sharpen it uh, in-, in this regards. Bishop Barron talks about not if someone's never seen a baseball game, yeah. you don't lead with the infield fly rule. You don't start with the minutia and then expect right. someone to understand it because there's context that is bigger. And I th- and I, I kind of compare that to this guy Everett Fritz. He's a Catholic uh, evangelist and um, disciple maker. I think it would be a term he would use for himself for youth. Um, he wrote a book called um, Forming Young Disciples or something like that. Uh, really great dude. And I had him on another show that I do, which shall remain nameless, Catching Foxes. Ooh. And uh, on that show, <laughs> on that show, we were talking and he said um, something I thought was really powerful, which was just essentially this notion that if all we do is harp on something like pornography, right, and we don't realize the context that we're in, it's like we're in a war and and the priest is telling 
all the people who are returning from the front that it's an unjust war and they're immoral for participating in it. Right. He's like, it's so much embedded in the culture that you're blaming people for cultural realities. Right. And he says the same is true about pornography. You have all these teenagers that are in a culture of pornography. And if all you do is say, that's wrong, that's right. wrong, that's wrong, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, then they just feel like there's no help, there's no relief. So we do have to keep those, so keep those two things in mind when we press further. The next line, though, is from Professor Livio Molina. Not a line, but his, his, kind of a line of thought in his book. So he's a professor out in Rome, brilliant dude, and he wrote a book called Sharing in Christ's Virtues. Yeah. And he talks about how sometimes people use the kerygma to hide what it means to follow Jesus. And when I heard that, I realized that was what I was guilty of. Sure. I was so bent on showing people the good and beautiful God that I never talked about virtue. I never talked about our response other than an act of faith and love and, and how to have a good prayer life. And I really do think that, and we know that morality is a part of systematic catechesis, that when someone accepts Christ, then we show them how to live their lives. Right. But you can't so separate them that when they commit themselves to Christ, they don't know what they're getting into. And so that's why a part of my RCIA formation is on social justice, and on sexual morality, it tends that people on the right kind of push down the church's teaching on social justice, and people on the left tend to push down the teaching on church's sexual sexual moral teaching. And so I overemphasize both of them because I need to confront their non-gospel thinking. Right. Does that make sense? It, it makes total sense. I think one of the things that, practically speaking, and, and so that people, you know, don't, don't freak out and, and think like, oh my gosh, I got to start you know, talking about social justice and, and the church's sexual teaching like Gomer, what you have to understand is that the second you introduce someone to a relationship with Jesus, when they're reading scripture, Jesus is already standing in front of them and saying, can you give me this? Can you give me this? Can you turn over this? Can you stop doing this? So it, it it's a natural flow. I mean, don't worry that much about it in the sense that you're going to be doing something brand new to their life. God is already taking a little bit more of their heart. And so it can be presented in that way. You know, I think the, the key is, is patience. Don't you think Gomer patience, like with a person who's coming to the Lord? Oh, absolutely. You need that so much because people are coming from all different places, right? If you're raised in a, a culture that is largely, you know, Republican conservative, there are going to be some issues with the gospel that you will naturally, it seems like, say, want to affirm. Yeah. And some things that you'll want to hold at arm's length. And there will be things on the, if you're raised in a progressive liberal Democrat household, that the same things will happen, you know? And so the idea of presenting the church's moral teaching in connection with the kerygma is that it's the kerygma that right. grounds it. It makes no sense. There's yeah. no sense without it. Yeah. And one of the failures of teaching, of moral catechesis, is it's detached from the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. So uh, let me give you a for instance. So this is moral living and gospel proclaiming. So I was invited to do this event called Ca the Catholic Ecological Awakening. <laughs> <That> sounds awesome. <laughs> it was it was all on Pope Francis's Laudato Si. It was held this uh, last Saturday uh, and I had to give the first talk at nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So. Uh, I'm super excited. It's, it's because it's in Houston. I bring my girls down. It's this beautiful convent area. It looks just like Europe, like a slice of old Europe right, right next to downtown Houston. So we go in and we have it now. And it brings out kind of who you would expect in Catholic circles that are on the, you know, anti, uh, 
or the pro sure. uh, climate change, you know, Paris sure. Accords, all of that stuff. But here's the deal is the audience that is typical of that people on the left, people who are kind of hippie, hardcore uh, progressives and whatnot. Um, I know I know for a fact that some that there is a tendency within that group to deny the gospel and kind of adopt a neo-pagan worldview. Oh, yeah, totally. OK, yeah. right. And so you have all that like they just adopt what is being said. And I, so I start off everything by saying I want to talk to you about the heart of a Christian ecology, a Catholic ecology, not one based on the paganism of our modern agnostic, you know, progressive world that is leading the charge on this. I said, you and I have to understand that to accept the gospel is to start with creation as a sovereign act of our heavenly father. It is a sovereign act of our heavenly father, and we cannot separate that from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, in going through a, a Thomistic understanding of creation and nature and nature's what you end up doing is you show the glory of the resurrected Christ in the middle of talking about climate change right. and global right. warming and all this stuff. And so I, I told them, like, when they were asking me, like, we want you to talk about how it affects the poor and social justice issues. I reached my hand across the table and I said, I will do all of that, but you must understand everything will be centered around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> And they were like, okay. And so in talking about moral living, right, a lot of people want to talk about, like, don't use plastic. And that's fine, right? But at the same time, it has to be more than a worship of creation. Of course. Like, that is a false start for every Christian. So what's the right start? The worship of the creator. Right. I right. And not profaning his gifts. So that's elements of how I incorporate the gospel into a broader moral living kind of perspective. So I'm thinking of just like some of the most practical situations here that people are going to have to face. Yeah. And I'm thinking uh, probably the, the top three, we already covered contraception. So there's one. Number two, uh, people are really, you know, in this day and age, we, you know, we have to talk about this and we will definitely do a whole episode on this, but people struggling with same sex attraction. This is something you have to be so careful about. Um, it's something I have a lot of experience with work walking with people uh, who struggle with that. And it, it, you have to be really careful to not lead with the moral in this sense. You really have to be careful uh, not to shy away from the moral, but not to lead with it because uh, it could, you know, you're talking about a very complicated issue. And the reason I bring that up is that so many people make this mistake, like right away, you know, with their children, sons or daughters who reveal that they're gay or something like that. And, and the parents just come out with the church's moral teaching on it. Well, you're going to go to hell because of this. That is it totally, totally counter counterproductive to what you're trying to do, uh, which is ground that person in a real relationship with Jesus Christ um, and, you know, to really make sure that everything that you're about to discuss with them is understood in that relationship with Jesus. The other thing I'd say is, uh, and most common, and I think so many of you uh, probably have this situation, is a, a kid calls home and says they're moving in with their girlfriend, they're moving in with their boyfriend. Uh, Gomer, what do you what do you tell parents? I'm, I'm curious just to say, when parents to ask you what to say when, when kids call and say that what do you tell them oh man uh, <laughs> isn't it the, it's the worst it's question. the worst but even if it's not like same sex right if it's right. just living together right right is, right yeah I, I i mean the parents always lead with the moral teaching right right they always lead with that right um and, and in a sense i would say as a parent 
perhaps you have evangelized, but right. you have an authority to speak into their lives. And I just tell them that you say, listen, I love you, but I'm not going to condone that life. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to condone that life. I do not approve of, of you doing this. So don't, don't ask me for money. If you want me to assist you in living in sin, but just know you're always welcome to come home and your, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend's always welcome in my house. Just when you're here, you're going to sleep in your childhood bedroom and they're going to sleep in the basement. (laughs) Right. And yeah, it's stuff like that. Yeah. And then you do your best to evangelize them. You kind of get past that issue and you do your best to evangelize them. It's, it's important because a lot of times, you know, those are the wedges that create, you know, a, a problem in the relationship and it just blocks everything for evangelization. I think, you know, one of the things with same-sex attraction, um, it's such a difficult thing because it's so much part of their identity and it's wrapped up into yeah. so much who they are. Yeah. They feel like they're losing who they are if you come right out uh, and say, well, this is not, you know, this is you're going to go to hell because this is the way God teaches. No, that's not what you do, right, at all. You, you get into that situation and you love, 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 and you start to try and and slowly introduce uh, like an ascending order of different types of, uh, you know, what God wants to do in a person's life. And when I say slow, I mean over years, right? This is a long-term kind of a thing. Uh, one, of, one of my close friends uh, was someone who I just happened to meet uh, when I was probably like about 19 years old. Uh, I got bumped up to first class. I love it when that happens. I I just uh, happened to meet this guy who was a very famous, famous philanthropist in the um, gay and lesbian community. And uh, and, uh, we started to talk and he found out that I was like kind of an evangelist. And, uh, you know, we kind of just had this conversation, kind of hit it off, you know, and we, we kept talking and we kept in touch afterwards. And years later, I mean, years, years later, he just actually this last summer died from complications from, from AIDS. But, um, years later I asked him, you know, why, why did you talk to me? Like you, I mean, he hated Christians when I met him, just hated, hated Christians. And, um, I said, why did you keep in touch with me? And he said, it was the first time he'd ever talked to a Christian where it's like, I told you I was gay. I told you how far I was into the gay lifestyle. And you, you just ignored it. You didn't bring it up at all. You never mentioned it again. You didn't say anything about it. It didn't phase you. Your eyes didn't jump up. Um, you know, it's like, it just, it was just like, all you want to do was get to know who I was. And it was like, I, and I, and I remember saying to him, yeah, I, I didn't care about what you did morally. I wanted to know the real you. And over years, you know, started to introduce this man to the gospel and he died a Christian, thank God. But, um, but it, it, it it's like, it's so easy to jump out with the moral because the church for years has jumped out with the moral. We we have done a really good job of teaching like laws and lists and things like that, you know? Yeah. And so we, you know, we get kind of comfortable with those. And it just it can be antithetical to the gospel. But remember, the opposite is also true. You you best not, you best not introduce someone to Jesus and say, hey, this is the hippie nerf Jesus, you know, this is the easy Jesus that I'm going to tell you about where everything's going to work out great and you're going to love it. And it's like a teddy bear Jesus. That's going to just, you know, be squishy and easy to form around your life. No, Jesus is dangerous, right? There's no safe way of following the gospel uh, because we lose ourselves when we meet him and we lose ourselves at the foot of the cross. So, yeah, I tell people all the time, when you hear me speak, you yawn. When you hear Jesus speak, you want to worship him or kill him. Right. Like there's no third way with Jesus. And so uh, there's an Anglican Bishop who said, you know, when Paul preached, 
cities rioted. When I preach, they serve me tea. <laughs> and I think about that. I think about that in terms of like one of the approach, I, and I want to make this clear, one of the, the reasons why we say, you know, don't lead with morality or moral issues is what we mean by that in particular is you don't lead with the one thing that is held in contention. Right. Like right. I am contracepting. You know that I'm contracepting. Therefore, you're going to start off talking about contraception and why I'm wrong. That's not how you win people. That's how you win arguments. But that's not how you win people. And if your goal is to win people for Jesus Christ and his kingdom, then you have to take a different strategy. You have to be winsome. Some people need a direct confrontation. They do. Right. Yep. They There's do. no question. And here's the deal. You loving them might involve a direct confrontation. That's true. So what you That's need true. to do is discern with when you're speaking the word of God to them, are you doing it out of cowardness and fear? Or are you trying to be more strategic and speak truth? And, and like, are you loving them right. while you are proclaiming the truth? Or do you secretly just want to deal with this in particular behavior or something? So for instance, when it comes to homosexuality, Oftentimes I find people immediately like, how can you do this? This is antithetical to your Catholic faith and all this stuff. I often find that for other sins, people don't take that approach. Right. Right. So right. If, if they find out someone's addicted to pornography or they committed adultery, they might. They're so understanding. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, okay, right. yeah. Like, or, or they might be ticked off about it, but at the same time, it doesn't consume them to go and target this one thing the whole time. Right. And so I find that, um, and, and it is because homosexuality, same sex attraction, bisexuality, whatever it might be, is number one, a hot button issue today. But number two, it's such a component of people's identity. Yeah. Maybe parents feel like they failed you somewhere along right. the way and so they're projecting and they're shaming you to try to make sure you understand that it's not their fault or whatever i mean there's a lot bound up with it but if you're an evangelist and you meet someone who's like listen i'm i'm gay i want you to accept me for who i am you can say to them i accept you 100 for who you are and i love you just as right. you are right there's nothing wrong with saying that right, right. but at the it's okay yeah, but at the same time your goal is not to get them to stop being gay right your goal is to get them to be holy and that might involve walking away from a relationship right right but it also might involve you refining the way your relationship currently yeah. exists and i think some people are afraid to do that because they want it i want i want to go back to the ignorant days right. I, I didn't want to right. know i didn't want them out of the right. closet no listen they have a life they need to live but you have a gospel that you need to proclaim right and we can't soften the moral message we can't say no matter what you do, it's totally fine, you know, because that's not true. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so there is a fine line when it comes to moral living and gospel preaching. I mean, the, ultimately, it comes down to are you living the same gospel that you're preaching? Yeah, I, I, right? I, oh, absolutely. And I think, like, you know, the two sides of this coin are how do you win souls and how do you keep souls? Because you win them a lot different, you know, often than you keep them, right? So how we approach the situation uh, might be different than how we make sure that we have to add in these moral implications of a relationship with Jesus Christ yeah. soon after introducing them to him, because uh, that's how you're going to keep the souls, right? This is what this is what it means to be a Christian. I think, you know, um, you know, you mentioned that some people need a conflict, and I think that is interesting. I'm glad you said that, because... You know, I think about in the pro-life movement, how there are famous pro-lifers who were once working in the abortion industry. And like one of them, uh, you know, Norma McCordy, Jane Roe, 
she writes her book, it's called One by Love, where she was literally evangelized by like a six-year-old girl who was the, the daughter of, of these two preachers that had like dedicated their life to evangelizing Norma McCorvey. Um, and this six-year-old girl just, I mean, the parents just trusted that God would protect her and this six-year-old girl would run up and hug her and, and she couldn't figure it out. And so she was won by love, you know, just complete and total love. Then you have other people, uh, like I think Dr. Bernard Nathanson, I think is the one who, you know, saw the gruesome signs that pro-lifers were holding and, and saw what it was like and, and just couldn't take it anymore and realized, you know, that conflict. And he had a conversion because of that. I'm not sure if it was him, but one of these uh, pro-life doctors, uh, these you know, abortion doctors who are converted has that story. So I yeah. think the, the key is here, you know, following the Holy Spirit, you know, and just figuring out what, what is necessary in, in this moment, because I definitely think that's true. I don't want you to shy away from the conflict, but at the same time, you want to be, you want to know when to use that and when to be ready. Yeah. And if they're your son or daughter, why do you want to alienate them from your life? Yeah, I agree. Like you don't like, how can you speak truth into their, into their lives if you've dismissed them or kicked them out of the house or done whatever like that, there's no, there's no ground, no footing now for you to do no. this. I mean, Jesus ate at table with the right. sinners. Surely someone ate at table with you, oh sinner, and you can eat at table with someone else, oh sinner. You can invite his boyfriend to a meal and treat him with respect and dignity. You don't have to attack him. You don't have to make him feel like a lesser person at the same time. You can bring them the gospel in an, in a way that speaks to where they're at. And when we say things like discern and where the Holy Spirit's leading you, this is why evangelization is nine-tenths God's movement, right. one-tenth you. I mean, it is so much like, do I confront? Do I say, hey, doctor, you know you're killing right. babies and destroying mothers, right? Is, is Or do you say, listen, I love you, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is there for you when you walk in the clinic, and he's there for you when you walk out right. at the end. Like, one might need the loving message, another one might need to be confronted, but in the end, the reason why you know one or the other that you should do is because you're doing it first on your yeah, knees amen. before you're ever talking to anyone. And so that's where we want to wrap up. Um, so right now, this has been moral living and moral living and gospel proclaiming. You got to have both of them. You can't you can't hide the one for the sake of the other, right? But uh, so we're going to come back. We're going to take a short little break, gear word from our good fine friends at Ascension. And then uh, I just want to encourage you, email us at bow at ascensionpress.com, E-K-S-B at ascensionpress.com. Both of them work. Email us, reach out, uh, rate us on iTunes, give us five stars, because that's what Dave Stone Cold Van Vickle deserves. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, 
and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. And we're back to every knee shall bow. We're talking about gospel li- proclaiming and moral living. And I hope you got something great out of this episode today. Nope. Nope. Uh, nothing. nothing. No, I I know. <laughs> I, I, I think this is a fruitful episode. We're going to have to revisit this topic, I think, because uh, it's so important. It's so important. Now, uh, you know, every week we try and give you five practical takeaways, uh, things that you can do right now to engage in some form of evangelization or preparing for evangelization or following through on that. And so we're going to launch into our take five. Now, in the last week, like four different people have come up to me and said, oh, I listen to your podcast. I really love evangelizing. And I say, oh, really? What, you know, what do you do? I'm always so curious. Like, what, what does that mean to someone who, uh, that they want to evangelize? And they'll say, uh, oh, well, you know, I love to put on like memes on Facebook. I love to put, you know, different messages or inspirational quotes on Facebook. And people seem to be really touched by that. And sure, that's, that's a valid form of evangelization. In this day and age, we must use communication media to evangelize, you know, put everything for the sake of the gospel. Wait, believe Dave, it or not. Did the church write... <laughs> A document about <laughs> using the communications of social media? Believe it or not, Gomer, they did. Okay, so so in the documents of Vatican II, there's a document called Intermorifica. Intermorifica. I'm sure we can put a link on uh, the show notes to this. Um, and, and it's pretty short, and it's pretty very straightforward and very simple. And it's about the use of social communication for the advancement of the gospel. And it's a great, beautiful discussion of what it means. And so for your first practical takeaway, I'm just going to have you uh, locate uh, this document either online or print it out or something like that and start to read this document, Intermorifica. I think you'll really be impressed uh, by uh, what the church talks about you know, in the use of social uh, media and communication. I also want to encourage you to pray through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of the Magna Carta of the Christian life. It embodies all that it means to be a Christ follower, to live a countercultural life amidst this fallen world. And so um, I would encourage you to take one chapter at a time. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Take it one chapter at a time. Take it into adoration with you. Take it into the church with you. Take it into your you know prayer corner or wherever. You can get some silence from your four screaming children. Sorry. Um, and just find some silence and pray through it one chapter at a time. Awesome. Number three, uh, you know, we always want to be self-reflective when we're evangelizing and remember what it was like when we first heard the gospel preach, what it was like to start to follow Jesus. Um, And so what I want you to do is reflect on maybe a moral issue in your own life that you had to really, that was a hurdle for you when you started to follow the Lord. I mean, you know, you remember what that's like when Jesus says, come follow me. And then he starts to say, and I want you to leave that behind and leave that behind and leave that behind. What were those things, you know, that you had a hard time leaving behind? I want you to just think about that, what it what it meant in your life and how it changed when you actually finally had the courage to, to drop those, uh, you know, those weights that were keeping you back uh, so that we can be more intuitive evangelists so that we can remember what it's like for people to leave behind. Sometimes, Sometimes what we feel is like our whole life. Yeah. Uh, and so since I always talk about community, mostly because my Ascension Press thing is called Radical Communities, buy my book. Um, I want to encourage you to have someone that will hold you accountable. What do I mean by that? Find a person or persons 
who will challenge you on your priorities. Jesus says, when you stumble, not if you stumble. The holiest person, right? The scripture says the righteous person falls seven times a single day. Here's the deal. Who have you invited to challenge you? Because when you start to stumble, when you hit your middle ages and you feel like you're firing on all cylinders and a little arrogance, a little pride and a little sin creeps in, the first people you push away are those who are closest to you. And you'll do it to your spouse, you'll do it to your kids, you'll do it to your parents, whoever it might be. When you stumble, you push the closest people away. Why? Because they're the ones that will pull you out of it. So right now, before you stumble, have accountability. Have people who routinely check in on you. And you check in on them who is willing to challenge you in your priorities. Because I'll tell you what, when a stranger that you don't know tells you how to live your life, you just get angry. Like when I was at a grocery store and I was buying Coke Zero and the lady said to me, you know this isn't good for you, right? (laughs) I have never been more upset at a human being (laughs) in my life. That is ridiculous. Do you know what? She doesn't know me. She doesn't know if I was buying that for me. If this was my first one ever. It was. A- I think we could all tell just from looking at you that you're drinking a lot of Coke Zero, Gomer. <laughs> I'm on a diet. I've been on a you're diet for 12 so, years. You're so slim. And- I'm so slim. How can you drink all that Coke? Um, <laughs> but it's true. If you don't have a prior relationship, you have no right to speak into someone's priorities. So get someone now in your life, and you be one in their life. Awesome. Number five, finally. All right. Uh, as we talked about media before, I want you to just share something evangelical through your social media. It could be if you're like older and you don't do, uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever the, the fandangled things the kids do these days. Uh, just maybe even send out an email of, you know, something that, you know, God has done in your life. Maybe some message that you've heard before. You could pull something off the internet, uh, a homily, anything like that. Just do something evangelical online. If you're on Facebook, putting out some kind of an evangelical meme or sharing an inspirational quote or something like that. If you already do that kind of thing regularly, then I want to push you one step further. Write something yourself. Write a little just quick testimony. You know, it could be five lines about what Jesus has done in your life in the in, the, in recent history. And, uh, and just put it out there on, on social media. And I bet I bet someone will say, you know, you really touched my life with that. So uh, do it prayerfully and, and see what happens. This has been Every Knee Shall Bow, a weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. We want to thank you both for listening, for tuning in. Uh, check out the fine folks at Ascension Press and all the cool stuff that they have to offer. God bless you all. Stay classy. God bless. Bye.